This is the Biblical Mind Podcast, produced by the Center for Hebraic Thought. Honest five-star reviews help others find this podcast. Visit the magazine at thebiblicalmind.org for articles and videos that explore the deep structures of Scripture. What is this wide, wide world of orality that most people don't think about, and at least in the Western world? Because you don't have to think about it. It's a part of who we are. We are, we just do this thing naturally. Uh, the problem came when people started writing about it and trying to talk about literacy versus orality. And mm. they had some good things to say, but it really confused things. Orality is just about communication, Drew. It is the way God made us in his image. He has these thoughts. We call those inner speech. That inner speech gets expressed. Now, he existed in three persons, right? Father, Son, and Spirit. They were communicating that they wanted in some way to create this universe. And how did they do it? They spoke it into existence. Hmm. Uh, that's one way that they expressed their inner speech. And he did it in a lot of other ways. He gave visions. He did it on a couple of occasions, actually used his finger and wrote things down. Uh, hmm. The law and the other things, I don't think you want to have God write you a message. <laughs> Ask Nebuchadnezzar about that one. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Uh, anyhow, so he did that. Uh, he used Proverbs. He actually spoke Proverbs to Ezekiel. Uh, uh, the genie, all those different ways God communicated is in his image. He created us to communicate in very similar ways. So it's like he's got these, he's made us with his capacity. Right now, uh, you can look around you and find something. I want you to find something, and I want you to not tell me what it is. Uh, don't write it down, but express to me in any way you could uh, what that might be. Okay. So uh, so for the sake of those who are listening, I'm going to uh, hold yes. my hands. <laughs> yeah. Here, here's the thing. So, Okay. Oh, hold on. Can okay, you so this? you're drawing something out. Yeah. So. Okay. Okay, and you're writing this. Yeah. Okay, we're playing charades here. So. Yep. Yep. Uh, now another way of expressing what it is you've got in your mind that you're looking at. Yes. How else could you express it? I mean, I could just say the word. Exactly. Uh, but, yeah. So say the word. What is it? It's pen. Pen. Okay. So you can say the word pen. You can actually motion it like it is. You could even draw a picture of a pen. Hmm. Um, uh, you could write a poem or a proverb. Uh, the pen is mightier than yep, the sword. Yeah, the got sword. It. Okay, you already yeah. know it's a proverb, right? That's a way of expressing our inner speech. Lots of different ways. So what orality is about is how do we do that? How we express. It's learned expressions of our inner speech. So you learn from, from very early on in your life uh, how to express yourself. Uh, you looked at that, uh, that, that uh, person who was responsible for feeding you or nurturing you, and you stuck your arms up at one point, or you uh, eventually said uh, whatever the word for water is, wah-wah. Uh, mm -hmm. Uh, you started expressing yourself 
and that keeps developing and developing. Everybody is born into this world with what we call this very high reliance on orality. Uh, this, this thing in our head that we've got to get expressed eventually over time and with further training and education. We learn things like our ABCs. We have building blocks that have letters on them. Uh, we start categorizing things. Then we start learning to read and write. That moves us down this trail of uh, orality reliance from very high, where we all really enjoy it, where stories and proverbs and songs and all those ways that we learned as a kid. Uh, and then we get down into this this place where we've we've learned to write papers we go to conferences we use powerpoint we use all those other things that are way down here in low orality reliance hmm. so the uh, the real challenge then is uh how do we best communicate with our audience uh because some people are very very high in their orality reliance in fact mm -hmm. eight out of ten people on the planet prefer forms of communication that are non-text, not related at all. Uh, so let's, let's back it up again. What is orality? It's about communication. It's how we best receive information, how we best process it or understand it, how do we remember it, and mm. how do we pass it on to other people. And there's a huge difference between those of us who have learned all these other literacies, how we prefer all that, and how people who have not learned those literacies, but have learned other literacies. Hmm. Uh, uh, literacies like farming, like how to play an instrument, uh, like how do we eat? Um, do we use this cuchara, uh, a spoon, or a fork? I, I just said both of uh, Filipino and English there. Okay, so... How do we best do that with other people? Mm. How do we prefer it? And the issue, Drew, becomes you and I have been educated out of our high morality reliance. And that causes a problem uh, because, like I said, eight out of 10 people on the planet don't use the kind of skills that happen when you learned how to read. Uh, your right. brain actually changes when you learn to read physically, physiologically. You make connections. There's three parts of your brain that you need to be able to read. Uh, that part of your brain that's visual looks at what you and I call letters, but your brain is taking all that and it kind of like it, it zips together and it forms this letter. And mm -hmm. then you have to name that. And then it then you have to take those letters, put them into words that help you then use all three parts of the brain to be able to just to read hmm. people who haven't learned to do that or don't prefer to do that who have underdeveloped that part of the brain don't communicate the same way yeah 
I've heard similar arguments uh, even about learning mathematics that, uh, mm-hmm. that children actually kind of have a logarithmic sense of numeracy, that numbers are kind of farther and farther away from each other, and that we override that with this base 10, mm-hmm. you know, each number oh, is yeah. equally distant from the other. Sure. And, you know, the question only comes up is, well, what do we lose when we override that, that natural, that native sense of numeracy? And I, I think you're pushing the same question. What do we lose? You know, we, we, we can, we could talk all day about what we gain and, uh, cultures of books and, uh, you know, uh, literature and engineering and things that maybe you couldn't do otherwise. Um, uh, maybe you could, I don't know. Um, but I can imagine besides the fact that we can't identify with a lot of people around the planet who are high orality reliant, um, meaning that the orality is their primary mode of reasoning. Um, what else do we lose just kind of like in daily life? Do we become blind to the world in some way? Well, uh, how do you remember things, Drew? If somebody is not well, (laughs) (laughs) that's because we have lost our capacity to store things. Yeah. Uh, Oh, yeah. We have electronically uh, archived things. Uh, You write them down uh, in notes. We have all those systems that are there. So those cultures and those people who have who have learned those other forms of literacy lose part of their capacity to remember. Hmm. Uh, so that's that's pretty important. Uh, but, but the real thing here, Drew, is about uh, just how do we communicate with other people and how did God communicate with us? I mean, stop and think about that one. What is the Bible? Your your whole thing here on biblical on biblical mind is about the scriptures. Well, what are the scriptures? Hmm. The scriptures begin with the mind of God, his inner speech. He loves us. He wants us to be with him. He wants this intimacy uh, that we were created for. And yet, because of our sin, we've been separated. So how does God communicate that? He has his mind. Let's say he wants us to know about his holiness. So how did he communicate he wanted us to be holy? He gave us this thing called the law and the tabernacle. Now, mm-hmm. God was communicating. How did he communicate it? He wanted even this law through Moses. What did he do with Moses to give him his call to begin with? Yeah. He, Where he, was uh, he? On Mount Sinai, right? Yeah, yeah. And how did God communicate? Through convincing with, Moses through signs and, uh, with, okay. and speech. Well, yeah. Okay. God audibly spoke, but when he was there... Uh, Mount Sinai, the first time, you know, at Jethro's place, uh, right. he goes up onto the mountain. How does God communicate? What does he see? Yeah, he, what, first, he calls him over with a, yeah, a burning bush, right? A, he sees a burning bush. Yeah. Orality is about using all five senses the way God made us. God hmm. first showed himself in this burning bush, and then he actually audibly spoke to Moses. So he's communicating. He's, he is expressing his inner speech. By saying to Moses, this is what I want you to do. And then when he communicated later on, he took him up on the same mountain, you know, and gave him the Ten Commandments. How did he do that? Well, this time uh, he did speak his name, all those kinds of things. He actually, with the finger of God in the stone, uh, made those uh, Ten Commandments. So there is that expression in written form God used. 
but then he, he said, make this tabernacle thing. Hmm. Now, what is the tabernacle about? It's communicating his desire for his intimacy to dwell with his people. It's a dwelling place. But to get there, he's got all these things to go. You got this outer court that anybody can go to. Then the inner courts only the priest can go into. Then you got the Holy of Holies that only the high priest can go into at, at some point in time. Uh, so the whole tabernacle, think about it. How many ways and expressions did God use with all five senses to communicate he wanted fellowship with us? Mm-hmm. Okay, He used visually, right? This whole temple or this tabernacle thing. Uh, what other art forms did he use to give us this picture of his holiness? He was communicating with us. Yeah. Uh, what's it made out of? What's the, what's the tabernacle made out of? Let's just take the Holy of Holies. Yeah, uh, acacia and, and gold. Okay, acacia and, yeah. wood. Gold overlay. This is all artistic stuff that he, he made. Uh, all of the lampstands, they had symbols on them. They had mm-hmm. leaves. There were pomegranates. There were all sorts of different things that were right out of the garden images, but he put in these communication expressions to us. How else did he communicate at the at the at the feasts uh, and the and the Levites? They had these these trumpets, right? That right. they were supposed to sound. Yeah. So even through the uh, the the music, the singers that were there. What about the actual uh, sacrifices that we were supposed to make? There were food offerings. God communicates through food. I think Jesus may have even done that. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, we call that the last. Supper. Supper, yeah. Uh-huh. With the bread and the wine. So God uses all five senses yeah. to communicate with. Where we need to learn through orality is that our communication, especially in the West, is so locked into just the reading, the writing, and maybe the hearing. Occasionally, the visual. We think, again, I, I don't want to put PowerPoint down. I'm a communication professor as well. Uh, but we think PowerPoint is somehow this uh, magical thing that we're, we're no longer text-based. <laughs> and yeah. uh, when I teach how to use PowerPoint, uh, I say you can have no more than five words. Think about the last sermon you saw, uh, how many words were on each slide. Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. So, I don't use text at all in my powerpoints. It's yeah. I use it as an an object uh, opportunity to see an object together. So, and that's you are helping people get an image in their head. The image now is your inner speech transferred to theirs, so they can share the meaning with you. That's, that's again what we're talking about. It's communication. Hmm. It's that inner speech expressed in multiple ways. And we've got to break out of our way of doing. Now, the other piece of that, Drew, is uh, there are, uh, we created this thing called the Orality Reliance Survey. It's just about finished. Hmm. And uh, there, are, there are characteristics of orality that really help us get, get our heads around this thing uh, that distinguish uh, where you are on a continuum from high 
to lower reality reliance. Mm -hmm. For instance, uh, what time is it right now? Uh, I'm going to cheat and look over at my clock at 7.40. Okay. You just demonstrated that you are very low or reality reliant. Lower reality reliant sees time as something that's measured, metered, uh, and we have to be on time. This is the time. Whereas higher reality reliant people say, what time is it? Oh, it's it's time that Drew and Chuck are having an interview together. Hmm. Uh, it's actually for me, uh, coffee time because it's, it's breakfast time over here. In right. Maryland. Right. Uh, so difference from high to low and the cultures, you're, you're never completely high or completely low. Right. You, you are on this continuum and there's lots of other things. One of them is, uh, and you've expressed it a couple of different ways here, uh, and how we, you, you called it logic and how we put things together. Um, but um, when, we, when we use concepts and principles and things like that, that is very abstract. Mm-hmm. And you have to learn that. That's a way of thinking. Higher rally reliant people are very concrete in their thinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we begin there with things that are concrete, and then we can move to the principles. Jesus uh, gave his uh, teaching uh, almost exclusively through the use of parables and stories mm-hmm. and things like that. And then he told them the point afterwards. Okay? He tells them the story of the Good Samaritan. And then he says, he asks usually a question, who's the good neighbor? Okay, right. making his point. Uh, whereas we like to put things in concepts. That's why we have three-point sermons that a main major thesis and, and all those kinds of things that fit together. They make sense, but they rarely connect at the heart. So again, if we go back to uh, the definition that I finally get to here now that's a little bit more complete, it's a learned expression of our inner speech using all five senses to help people receive, process, remember, and pass on important information, truth and information. Hmm. So it's the inner speech in my head. Right now I'm thinking about what is orality and how do I express that to you and your audiences? Uh, How do we process that? Right now we're doing it a little, bit in dialogue but it's it's pretty much me just saying this is what it is if i were in a higher rally context we'd be doing this in a group so Mm -hmm. we're talking about it and letting everybody speak into that uh so processing it uh giving reasons is one way of helping you process uh let's take mcdonald's as an example if mcdonald's was going to use uh, a persuasive form to make you buy their hamburgers in the way that we preach our sermons. They would say, McDonald's is fast. McDonald's yeah. has uh, an all beef patty. It has all these other things in it. Uh, it's a place you can go with your family, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now they could do that mm-hmm. and just publish that. They could put it in a PowerPoint. They could even 
you know, do some other things. That's called the central router processing. There's this right. thing called the peripheral router processing that you use narrative and song. So I can, st- this is like 15 years ago. I remember the McDonald's commercial where the dad and the girl pull up to the, in the evening. Uh, she obviously is going to go meet some friends and the music is starting to play, you know, McDonald's theme song, whatever. The girl is getting out of the car. The dad starts to get out of the car like he's going to go in with her. And the girl looks at him and gives the, the look only a daughter can give. Mm-hmm. And she says, Dad. And you know, and so he gets back in the car. And now the strings in the music start playing. And anybody knows anything about music, that's the emotive instrument. And now me, a dad who has a daughter, is thinking, oh, my gosh. My little girl, she's growing up. I got to take her to McDonald's, just the two of us, before she grows up and just wants to be with her friends. Uh, Okay, so that's the emotive thing that kicks in. They could have used the central route and just said, come to McDonald's, you can spend time with your kids. You can, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. (laughs) No, that's not how they sell their hamburgers and chicken and whatever. They do it through this yeah. story and song and other powerful means of processing. Again, Drew, we have got to learn better how to do that. Yeah. Uh, our preaching, our teaching, concepts, facts, figures, none of those change things. You know, if yeah. God wanted to communicate that he loved us, which he did, uh, he could have used the terms and expressions of mathematics hmm. i even have an equation you know the the uh the symbol for infinity god uh or delta uh, uh for god so loved the world he could have used a mathematical expression and some people actually get that in fact i put it up on a screen when i uh, when i do some some teaching and ask a, an audience who can tell me what this is and i actually have had like two or three people who looking at a mathematical equation said for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, of course they were uh, uh, translating a little bit about that. But God didn't really, use mathematics. Yeah. Yeah. He used this uh, expression in multiple ways from speaking to sending his son to live among us, to show us demonstrate for us. So orality is all about that stuff. How do we receive a message best? And you receive it much differently than somebody who lives, say, down in the bayous of Louisiana. Uh, The first thing it would say to you is, you ain't from around here, are you? Uh, So, yeah. The big problem is I'm here because, you know, I, I went to a seminary a long time ago and did, you know, the Master's of Divinity degree and the preaching classes, which I think they were hip to this problem. Maybe not solved it, but they were hip to it because, you know, they taught you the three-point sermon and then the next two classes were like, now let's get away from that as quickly as possible. Right? <laughs> let's let's yeah. tell stories. Let's think about it. Yes. Uh, but even in the Hebrew Bible, you know, I would say kind of the way that you, you've put it here is they do 
work at abstract concepts, but they work at them by giving you lots of concrete instances, a story about it this way, a story from another angle, uh, a piece of poetry that has to do with the same topic. You know, if you think about something like justice, what is justice? What's, what's Mm -hmm. unjust, right? They work at that 15 different ways, rarely with a definition, actually almost never with a straightforward definition. There is a, you know, a sense where, and I I think we all have this problem. I mean, I, I think of Paul too, who is in, a largely stoified philosophical culture when he when he's entering the Roman culture, it's mostly Stoics that he's running into, and a lot of what he says sounds Stoic. Um, I've argued in in a book that um, that what he's doing is speaking a language they can understand in order to bring them back over to this other uh, other way of thinking about things. Um, if I hear you correctly. You're making. You're not just making the claim that there are there are different types of cultures. Some are high orality, some are low orality, but you're actually saying that as human beings, the high orality culture is the more natural habitat of human communi- communication, and we need to think about wh- where and how far we moved away from that, and what the detriment to the gospel and just to like treating each other as humans is. Exactly. Uh, I would. I would not say detriment. Everything else, Drew, that we have comes out of our orality. It's not orality versus literacy. Okay. Literacy is an expression of our orality. Every book you wrote, where did it begin? It began in your head, mm-hmm. inner speech. You may have even talked about it with other people. If you're anything like me, uh, when I write, I draw a, a mind map, cognitive mm-hmm. map, mm-hmm. where it all goes out there. Yeah. Uh, and then I put it into words, and then I wordsmith over and over and over and over. Okay, so all of that is orality, not textuality. Textuality is just an expression of our inner speech, and not to confuse it. And and let's get back to the the whole Bible thing. God expressed His inner speech in many times, in many ways. Hebrew says, mm-hmm. you know, in First Peter. Uh, as people were moved along. So how did that happen? It, it came from the very throne room of God through the Holy Spirit to a receiver, whether that's a Moses or another prophet or uh, uh, an, an Anna or uh, Elizabeth. You can't call Elizabeth a prophet, but you know she received a message. Mary right. received a message. Uh, and so God gives them messages into their mind, inner speech, that has to be interpreted, processed, remembered. They'll never forget it. And then they express it in other ways. So Moses received all this stuff from God. Uh, let's go back to Mary. How did Mary, uh, she received it directly from an angel, uh, told her this stuff, put it into her. She then expressed it. How? In community, telling other people the story. Uh, yeah. She and Elizabeth talked about it, yeah. but she put it into a song. Oh, yeah, yeah. The Magnificat. Yeah, the, the song. Based the on Hannah's song. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Same type of thing there, right? Yeah. So she expressed it, not in writing. But eventually, along comes a guy named Matthew or Mark, and then Luke You know, does his research. Uh, and they put it in text. And that text then is the, take it back, it goes to Mary expressing her inner speech that came from the angel, that came from the Holy Spirit, 
that came from God the Father. So this whole process now comes to the text of the Bible. So the text of the Bible is very, <laughs> this is really critical here, Drew. The text of the scripture is simply one small piece of the word of God that we have recorded in its essentials. And then when you get your Bible, whether you see it up on a screen in church or you have your favorite version, you now have the capacity because you've learned another expression of inner speech in this thing we call print text. Mm -hmm. You can read it. So those you aren't putting into your brain, let's see, uh, I N space T H E space B E G I N N I N G. No, you're, you're picking up those words, those meanings, those concepts from there. It comes into your brain. Now you now are going to have inner speech that's being spoken directly to you. That's where the Holy spirit begins his work. Hmm. The Bible does not become the Word of God. The Bible is the Word of God, but it's only the beginning of what God meant for it to mm. do. And those of us who, you know, have, have our uh, theological degrees, I don't even know how many degrees I've got now. Uh, it's not important. Uh, but we have turned the Bible into this print text, final edition of God's Word. In fact, I even had a professor in my uh uh, hermeneutics class basically said the Holy Spirit died more or less. He just went back to heaven when John finished the book of Revelation. Done no dusted for the Holy Spirit. Yeah. You know? And that's real popular. Uh, well, can but, I, can I, uh, I, I want to make sure that people did not admit, because I feel like what you said is so radical. It's so common sense in so many ways, but it's so radical and it is not the way we think of scripture at all. If I read you correctly, and you can tell me if this is a good retelling of what you said, that, you know, in some ways we could say, if I could say it cliche, the gospel was imbued into the bodies of that first century community. And, and it was carried in their bodies and expressed in various times and in various ways through song, through discourse, discussion, through investigation and saying, tell me everything you saw. I want to, I want to get a, a correct record. And and then is expressed in several textual accounts, in several textual accounts, not one. They're they're all coordinated accounts, um, none of them identical. Um, and and that which should whole, say something right there. <laughs> yeah, well, I use that all the time when we talk yeah. about the right interpretation. I'm like, well, which is the right yeah. interpretation of Jesus? Is it uh-huh. Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John? Um, but that we hold that as our tradition. And that whole process in some ways is what people, when they talk about the gospel, they're really talking about that whole process. And as you added at the end there, as it also works into us through uh, the inner speech from the text into the community of God today. Now, you just said a really important thing, too. The community of God. That's one of the things that I left out of there is that the Word of God was never intended for individuals. Yes. Amen. (laughs) It's always done in community. The community owns that word that's been spoken to them. When when Paul wrote Romans, uh, or let's say Ephesians uh, from Rome, uh, he was... was, uh, writing to a whole community and you know that uh, your audience probably knows there's a whole thing called biblical performance hmm. where that letter was not something that got passed out to people as they walked in the front door to go to 
to church that day. Uh, that was performed up front. Uh, mm-hmm. Each one of those letters, except the very personal one, say to Timothy or Titus, uh, maybe Philemon, except Philemon, you know, uh, is a little bit different too. Anyhow, so it's done in community, and we've lost that with our personal quiet time, our, you know, all those things that they're good. Right. But my question, Drew, for you is this why is this so radical? What is it that shaped us in the West to say, wow, this is not the way we do things. What happened? I mean, you, you talked about getting an, uh, an MDiv. Where'd the concept of an MDiv come from? Mm-hmm. That certainly wasn't what Jesus was teaching us to do. Where did the idea of an MDiv come from? Or any degree, which, by the way, at the, it, it was first called lettered people. Right. You know, those who had right. letters after the name, right? Came right out of the Enlightenment period. What did the Enlightenment tell us was important? Print text. Right. Knowledge. Uh, rationalism came out of that. We can figure it all out. We can do it all. It's all scientific uh, ways of approaching things. In fact, you took a class called hermeneutics. You remember Bernard Ram? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Everybody had to take Bernard Ram. And he talked about interpretation. It is the science of interpretation. Right. Okay. Where did that come from? That came right out of the Enlightenment of saying everything is scientific yeah. and the German mind and all those kinds of things. Yeah. Now, there's some great value to that. I'm not yeah. saying that it's not at all, but that is certainly not the way God works. If mm-hmm. we take the, it's called the critical historical approach to interpreting the scriptures. Basically what we're saying is if you don't know Greek and Hebrew, you cannot understand the scriptures. Mm-hmm. Oh, and by the way, which text are you using? Because there are so many different variant texts of those same Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic, Syriac, other languages that fit, fit into all this thing. So, what we're saying is through this thing of orality, understand the Word of God. It is not the text that is the Holy Scriptures. Well, we have to say, yes, it is the text that we, we call the Holy Scriptures, but that is not the Word of God. The Word of God is living and active. It begins with those words, but that those words we have is not even complete, and how we receive them in multiple ways. How are you going to give those those uh, words to people, Drew? Uh, they need the scriptures, and yet eight out of ten people on the planet do not read. Mm-hmm. My wife, part of her uh, uh, her ten percent of her time goes to uh, uh, SIL, uh, mm-hmm. that's responsible for you know Bible translators and all that kind of stuff, training them. Uh, we've gone to places where people spent twenty five years translating just the New Testament. Mm. And of course, it's now already out of date in their language. And we find those Bibles in a warehouse, Mm. in an office. Nobody reads them. They are uh, uh, people-less Bibles. Mm. Oof. (laughs) That's a painful term. Yeah, it is. But that's 
that's because we approach it that reading and writing and this whole lower orality reliant thing is the way we best uh, can keep the word of God accurate. Uh, if that were true, uh, we would have nothing but uh, apostates from the time John died until uh, Martin Luther translated the scriptures into the vernacular German. Right. Uh, just not, not the way it happens. Okay. I've got one last question that is completely from left field, and I've already decided that if you have time, we are having you back on. <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay, okay. Because we have just scratched the surface here. Um, You're right. Uh, okay, I have a theory because I work with a lot of eighteen to twenty-one year olds, gen- Generation uh-huh. Z. Know where that, this is going? That actually they are more of a high or, or sorry, a high orality reliant culture that, that text actually means much less to them. Um, except for texting in a weird way, texting on their phones, uh, does a different thing for them than it certainly does for me. But do you think it's, you know, that it's possible that this next generation will actually in some ways be empathetic, uh, because they've, <laughs> they've lost their sense of textual literacy uh, like the, they actually have a sensibilities about high reality reliance that maybe uh, I'm a Gen Xer. We just don't have because we're taught read, write, and arithmetic and do it all textually. Sure. Absolutely. Uh, you know, some people uh, coined the term the digital generation. Hmm. Uh, and the generations since mine and yours have made this quantum leap uh, out of uh, the Gutenberg parenthesis. Hmm. Wow. The 400 years of modernism that locked us into scientific method, locked us into uh, formal education. And you know, as well as I do, that there's a whole anti- intellectualism thing that goes along with the same same mm. thing uh, so by all means this next generation uh, the emerging generations and it's happening faster and faster and faster now uh, if we do not adapt to their needs uh, and communicate in ways and yet help them come back to the foundations of the of what the scriptures give us and understand the scriptures the way the scriptures have been given to mm-hmm. us, um, I'm not sure what that's going to look like uh, for a church of the 22nd century. Hmm. Uh, yeah, so you're I, right on. Spot I've got on some ideas, but uh, that'll be for next episode. So yeah, well there you go. Well, <laughs> Charles Mattinger, is it Mattinger or Mattinger? Mattinger. Okay. Charles Mattinger, thank you very much for stating just some plain facts and helping us to to deal with them. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I feel like I rambled on a little bit on there, but it's, it's, as you said, this is so easy. It is so simple and it is so profoundly difficult, complex Hmm. to really flesh it all out. That's why we have a whole training program at our organization called the Institutes for Orality Strategies. And we have a four module uh, curriculum uh, that takes you through the foundations of orality, 
You have to understand culture and the arts. Mm -hmm. That's another module. You have to understand narrative and how to build narrative. And then finally, these are all courses, by the way, you didn't get in your MDiv program. Mm -hmm. So we're trying to hit those gaps. And the final one is, we call it orality by design, uh, which teaches you how to uh, put curriculum, lessons, sermons, whatever, together in a manner that's more suited for high orality-reliant people. Hmm. I did my PhD at the University of Kentucky, and Dr. Gary Anglin, who was in charge of instructional design uh, for that, he was also the president of uh, the instructional design professors in the United States. I asked him, I said, Gary, uh, all this stuff, if I had had this when I was doing projects in Afghanistan, Iraq, HIV stuff in Africa, I said, this instructional design uh, that you've given me would have taken me so much further. But 80% of the world doesn't get it because all this is geared towards reading and writing mm-hmm. and teaching people that. Who can I go to? Who can tell me? How do you do this for the 80% of the world that doesn't prefer to read to learn? And he looked at me and he gave me the deer in the headlights first. And then he cocked his head and held up his hand with the zero sign. Mm. Now, this is a guy who understands instructional design and everybody who's teaching in that space. And he's saying that nobody in Western education is teaching how do you design curriculum, lessons, or anything else that way for people who don't prefer or use reading to learn. Mm. That's a scary thought because we're missing. It's like it's like saying, I want you to drink from the water of, of life and giving them a shot glass mm. and saying, hope you can get it all mm. instead of giving them the whole fountain. When we take the way we've learned in school and even teach people in our churches in the U.S., uh, they may say great sermon with your three-point sermon and all those other kinds of things. But all they're really saying is, uh, I hope you notice that I'm here today. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> thank you. Uh, so anyhow, all of that simply to say, we've got a long ways to go hmm. to get our heads around this and practice teaching the way Jesus taught. And that's where I end this thing, Gary. It, 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 it's how do we teach like Jesus taught? And you're going to have to think about that one for a while. Wow. Because he never, as you have heard many times, he never wrote a book. He never wrote anything that we have passed on except something got erased in the dirt. Uh, How did he teach? And yet everybody received it. They they heard it. They understood what he said. They may not have agreed, but they remembered it. I mean, they understood it. They also remembered it. They didn't forget it. Mm Mm-hmm. And they passed it on without a pen Hmm. for hundreds of years. It's powerful stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I know there's a lot of blown blown minds out there right now going, (laughs) okay, I've never thought about this before in my life. So we will return to this topic a few more times because I think this issue is so important for us to think about. Uh, Again, Charles Mettinger, thank you so much for your time and your wisdom and your guidance on this topic. You are very welcome. I look forward to talking again, Drew. You've been listening to the Biblical Mind Podcast, exploring the deep structures of Christian scripture. For more, visit the magazine at thebiblicalmind.org 
Subscribe to this podcast at all the usual places so you never miss an episode.